From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by DataRails, the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we will welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FPNA. We will provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis today. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FPNA. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Lance Rubin. A little bit about Lance. Lance is originally from South Africa. He currently resides in Melbourne, Australia. He's the founder of Model Citizen, a consulting firm for financial modeling. He's the founder or co-founder of EXL Cloud. He is a certified trainer for the Financial Modeling Institute, which offers the Advanced Financial Modeler and other certifications. He's an all-around modeling expert. We are really excited to go ahead and get into the show and spend some time with Lance today. So, you know, Lance, I know you've seen hundreds of models over your career. You've probably seen everything from really well-done models to what I like to call Franken models, just total train wrecks. So maybe can you talk a little bit to our audience, you know, particularly FP&A people, they're trying to improve their modeling skills. Maybe what are the biggest areas for improvement, what they should look for as they're trying to become better models? Thanks, Paul. It's a great question. And it's someone that comes up often. I'd say start to treat your model like your house. Like it's, it's a place where you live, you have some respect. It's a place where you invite guests into. And so make sure you're inviting people into the right place when they start. Like you wouldn't invite, bring someone in through the back door of your house. You'd bring them through the front door. So, you know, and you wouldn't, you know, take them straight up to your bedroom and might be in a bit of a mess. So you sort of, you know, make sure that you sit there nice in the, in the lounge or dining area, or particularly if you're going to be eating food, you know, you wouldn't be eating in the garage, you know. So have some structure to where you are taking them and where, where, where you're going to lead them. So I think the, the key thing is often just there's no structure. There's sheets everywhere. There's numbers everywhere. It's kind of like walking into a house and you've just got laundry thrown over the lounge room table, right? As opposed to actually hanging in the, you know, somewhere else. So it's, and of course, the last thing you want to see is someone's, uh, someone else's underwear, you know, whilst you're inviting them into your house. It's just, it's a bit messy. It's, it's kind of distasteful almost. So I think the key thing there is structure. The other aspect of that is just what's the story? So if someone's coming to visit your house. Are they coming for dinner? Are they coming, you know, what is the purpose? What are we actually here for? Are we just having coffee or are we just chatting? So often models don't even have that. You don't even know, like, why am I here? <laughs> it's almost like a bad, bad dream or a nightmare. It's like, what am I trying to do? Where is the dashboard? Where's the story? Where's the output? What's the purpose? You know, I think if, if you don't have that nice and centered in terms of whether it's a cover page or an executive dashboard or outputs or you know something that just, ah, oh, I get it. Now I understand. Or do I need to sit through a dissertation of you explaining what your model does, because quite often people explain their models from a logic and, and, and formulas and structure perspective, as opposed to saying, no, actually, we're trying to work out the valuation of this company to see if it's viable, or we're trying to work out the cash flow to see if it's sustainable. You know, these sort of things are critical when you start. 
And then the third and final piece, which is sort of a multi-layered, but I'd say best practice. Just apply aspects of best practice. And the one thing that I see, which is just breaks all of that, is hard coding. It's the number one sin that I see way, way too often. We use Excel Analyzer to detect and find hard coding. Now, one and zero in binary is fine, but if you know if I'm taking multiplying a number by 12 or multiplying something by a million, is it 12 products? Is it 12 periods? Is it 12 divisions? Is it 12 FTE? I don't know. I've got to guess, you know, but if I actually write in a lookup table or a helper table in my sheet, in, in my workbook, and I say, this is 12 months, months in a year, there's 12, that's what I'm using. And now I'm going to times months in a year in the formula, you know, millions and dividing by millions and billions, you know, how many times you've got to read how many zeros there are in a formula. It's you, your eyes go wonky and you, the chances are you'd even type it incorrectly. But if I name the range millions, now it's called millions. Now that's fine. And I can see it and I can see all the decimals. I can see the commas because it's only one number when it's in a formula. I can't see all the commas. I can't see, you know, it broken up into, you know, the six zeros. So it's it's a problem. I appreciate everything you said there. And, you know, particularly uh, you mentioned inviting somebody into your house. I hadn't thought of that analogy. I really like it. What the one I've often used is, you know, we wouldn't dream of building a house without having a blueprint and without hiring a certified contractor, somebody who's who knows what they're doing and that we know can put the house together so that when it's done, we're not laying in the bedroom and all of a sudden the roof falls on us, right? <laughs> you know, but yet we do that all the time with modeling. I mean, yeah. people don't sit there and design it. You don't build a blueprint. You don't make sure you have somebody who's qualified to build the level of model they're building. I remember one of the best experiences I learned on that front is we had this complex model we were doing for work and it was above my skill level. And we had a guy that had worked in investment banking and my CFO brought him in. And we worked together for several months. I worked on the data side of the model and he did a lot of the building out of the model. It was a very complex model. And a year later, I understood the model well enough and I was able to completely update it when I understood the business better to better support the business. That's a model they still use today. And for me, that was a really good lesson to one, know your limitations. And two, you know, just the importance of having the right person in the room Beyond just design, but sometimes, you know, models can get complex and having somebody that can help with some of those things you've never done is important. And so, you know, it was, it was a good lesson for me. And then, of course, I love the don't hard code. I just hate it. I'm like you. Like, what are you thinking? I, I can occasionally get, okay, days in a year, 365, some of those things. I might be able to forgive that a little bit. But some of the things you see, you just you just wonder what people are thinking. But that's another story. <laughs> So those are all great advice. You know, as you look at, you know, kind of your career and where it's taken you, is there an accomplishment as you look back over your career that you'd say you're most proud of? If you were in a job interview and I asked you, hey, you know, what is the thing you're most proud of in your career? What would you tell me? I'd say writing a major portion of the study guide for the CA ANZ in Australia is probably the number one. So it was a massive piece of work. Chapter four of the study guide deals with financial modeling in terms of the build. And so there were other chapters around um, standards and best practice and bits and pieces, which others wrote. But I wrote the, the financial model building chapter, which covers everything that we spoke about, covers scoping, covers design. You know, exactly like you said, just get proper design work, get proper outline of what, what you're going to build. 
and then actually building it, you know, applying logic to it, making sure that you build great visuals and dashboards and scenario management. And is it a one, two, three, or four way, you know, model? Like, why are you building it? You know, understand the purpose of the model. So I'd say putting literally 20 years of my knowledge into a study guide is probably one of the biggest achievements. And of course, now I share that on LinkedIn. The other part is, I guess, going beyond Excel. The other big achievement is sitting on the Power BI Global Summit earlier this year. And I guess it's, uh, for me, another pivotal moment of where I've really gone beyond just Excel, gone just, you know, so I spoke about how do you bring the world of financial modeling and analytics together using a tool like Power BI, where you can build three-way models and bring and visualize that together inside Power BI amongst other data. So now we started to bring financial modeling disciplines around scenario analysis and sensitivities alongside your operational data. Um, and that's incredibly exciting. I'm not talking data science for the moment. I'm just talking descriptive, diagnostic, like just the basic fundamentals of data analytics and reporting. But yeah, I mean, I've traveled, you know, many different countries. I've probably trained over a thousand people. You know, I guess those things are all part and parcel of those other two in terms of you know, my achievement. But I'd say those two are probably, probably it. That's a great achievement to work on that guide and to help build out the modeling section. So, you know, speaking of guides and resources, you know, courses, if people want to get better at financial modeling, they want to improve their modeling, is there maybe a book or a course or, I mean, would you recommend that guide? What are some of the things you'd recommend to people who are wanting, you know, a little more than they can just, you know, figure out on their own? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think one of the things that I started a number of years ago was the Financial Modeling Knowledge Hub, which, of course, you're an author of as well, Paul one of the articles, I think there were about 39 different authors around the world. There were articles on the 40 years in the history of spreadsheets before Excel. So there's a lot of material in articles that are sitting in the Financial Modeling Knowledge Hub. And there there are, at, there are other links and, and, and content elsewhere. So I think that would certainly be one part. I've written, as I said, a number of articles and written, co-authored with yourself. You know, I'm a great fan of Oz de Salil. Is an absolute hoot when it comes to, you know, making Excel look cool, sexy, funky, all that sort of stuff. And so definitely YouTube and Oz. But then there's also a range of others. Amanda Tracy, Leila Girani, Bill Jelen. There's so many. YouTube, I'd say, is a very big part. Chandu, who I've met and, you know, luckily introduced in a couple of meetups, would be another resource that I'd look at. Definitely from a financial modeling accreditation and learning perspective, the FMI, as we discussed before, I think would be my own personal preference. And then I think just make sure that you become familiar with the technology and just be aware of it. There's no one place that you can go, but I think for me, LinkedIn is a great place. I learn a lot from you as well, Paul. Some of the stuff that you post on some of these other tools that I'm like, oh, I've never seen that one before. I'm going to go have a little sniff and have a look. So I think... Um, you know, uh, the Financial Modeling Podcast with Matthew Bernath, we're obviously sponsoring season five, is a big one. All things financial modeling on that podcast. And so that's from all the aspects of data science all the way through. And so that's definitely a podcast that I would listen to. Of course, yours <laughs> would be another one. The Explicit Measures podcast is, is another one which I'm really enjoying around Power BI. So the Explicit Measures podcast with the guys is you know super cool around all things power bi and data analytics 
so yeah, I mean, there's a few there, but uh, perhaps we can share some of those links in the show notes as well. Yeah, no, that'd be great. And when you said explicit measures, I'm like, that has to be a DAX Power BI uh, <laughs> podcast. I think I have heard of that one before. I haven't listened to it. I need to, but yeah, that that immediately, I'm like, implicit versus explicit. O- only a, a Power BI nerd would understand that one. Half the audience is probably like, what? Yeah, exactly. No, those are a lot of great resources. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, going out and being curious and willing to learn, whether it's a formal course, which I think is always valuable in Excel. I think there's a lot of benefit from learning in a formal course that you're just not going to pick up from just Google and just this and that. There's structure, there's principles, there's things that just give you such a huge shortcut in getting to where you need to be. You did mention a lot of great resources, and I recognize all those. You know, one of my love is Oz, his just unique style. Yeah. You know, he's such a great storyteller. There's a lot of great ones like that. So, you know, as you think of kind of SP&A and, you know, kind of shifting gears here to a little more than financial modeling, I know you've done a lot of fractional CFO support. So, you know, when you think of SP&A and you go beyond financial modeling, kind of, you know, business partnering, you know, management reporting, those other aspects of SP&A. What for you is, you know, kind of that area you focus on? What do you see as the biggest opportunity for FPA professionals to provide value to the business they're supporting? It's a great question, Anna, and it probably comes back to the first point of the storytelling and the communication. And that's not just at the end when I've built my model, but it actually starts at the beginning. And starting with why, starting with the end in mind, understanding and hypothesizing where you need to be, and playing that story or understanding the story and the storyline. Now, who are the characters involved in it? What are the things we've got to watch out for? You know, obviously you have your, your good cop, bad cop. You've got all great stories in terms of, you know, movies and, and how that plays out. That's no different to us solving one of these mysteries around our analysis. And if we're not able to translate complex analysis into a great story, you know, even before we even, how do we get business leaders to embrace this thing that we're going to build, you know, before you've even built it, a model. So let me tell you about this great model we're going to build for you because we're going to be able to answer your questions. We're going to build you a tool that you can use and answer questions yourself and not have to come to us all the time. That's what we want to achieve. We want to empower you to make better decisions. That's what we want. You know, we want to give you the keys to the candy store. We want to give you the keys to the Bugatti or the Ferrari or or the Porsche, so that you can drive some great decisions. You know, I think those sort of analogies, as I talk about that, you can see the candy store, right? You can see the keys, you can see this Bugatti, this Ferrari, you can feel it, right? So I think that's what we're missing. We're missing that emotion attached to the feeling of the numbers. And I think that's where we have a huge opportunity to go beyond just the analysis and the planning and the forecasting in FP&A. It's more the embracing this world of storytelling and the skill of that. And that comes into communication. It also comes into empathy. It also comes into, you know, two ears, one mouth. You know, let's use it in that same ratio. Let's listen and let's talk when we need to. But really embracing feedback and really working towards that 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 end goal and bringing on people for the journey. If the journey is all just numbers and spreadsheets, it's not particularly <laughs> exciting. You know, so what's the story? You know, what are we going to talk about? You know, there's a lot to unpack there, but I just love the focus on communication. 
the story, you know, going beyond the analysis. So we had on the show and I think we'll release the episode here in the next couple of weeks, Carl Seidman from uh, Chicago. And he mentioned, you know, the most important thing FPNA professionals can learn to do in their career is learn to communicate, right? Which storytelling is communicating. And I learned that lesson the hard way is really hit home to me one time. I'd spent all this time on a bunch of analysis. We had this big program. We were trying to come up with a new way to incentivize our sales team to help us maintain revenue because of a change in a program. And I'd done a ton of work. I'd run it through my boss, which was our regional CFO. And he's like, oh yeah, this is really good analysis. And we get into the meeting with the global CFO. And about five minutes in, he's like, this is a terrible idea. Why would you do that? And I'm just like, kind of like, okay. And he's just, he's basically just bagging on us. And uh, he calls in the managing director. Managing director talks him for five minutes. And then all of a sudden he's back on course. And 15 minutes later, he signs off on it. And I'm kind of like, what just happened? Yes. And I was trying to figure out, you know, and I had a debrief with my boss and my boss looked at me and he goes, your analysis was brilliant, but your presentation lacked. Yes. You lost the CFO. And that really hit me. He's like, you did a great job on the analysis and you were right, but you weren't explaining things. Yes. You weren't communicating in the way that he understood it. And once the managing director helped him understand what we were trying to do, we got approval. And that really was like, okay, I failed my job. It doesn't matter that the analysis was good. I failed on the last mile. And that's what matters. Absolutely. It's critical. And it's a shame that all of that hard work has that impact or the lack of impacts when we don't focus on our communication. And, you know, even having a conversation with the CFO before going into the meeting, just to get an understanding of his headspace and what he likes to see and how does he want to work through problems, I think could be very powerful. We will be right back. You know what it is like. 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders. Multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop, breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up-to-date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel, embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. And now let's get back to our episode. So just last few questions here. I've really enjoyed talking with you, but you know, first we're going to say, you know, as you look at the world of FPNA, what would you say is the biggest opportunity in FPNA today for FPNA professionals? The biggest opportunity is data because we have it, we've always had it, but we've always focused on financial data. Now we have the opportunity to apply that to non-financial data. And there's so much that I hear about technology people wanting to get into the data world. But technology people are very much tech-focused as opposed to 
business focused. And I think in, in FPNA and in finance, we've got that business opportunity. We have access to all of this data across the organization. In the end, it all comes back, all data, financial or non-financial, comes back to one set of numbers and that sits in the financial statements. And that's our bread and butter. So I think what we've got is we're sitting on a huge opportunity to go deeper behind the financial statements into you know, operational data, external data. So for me, the tools that we can now use to manage a lot of that data is incredible. And we're now, for the first time, not hampered by just Excel. So that's the opportunity. The question is, do we want to embrace it? Are we prepared to learn? Are we prepared to change the communication? Are we prepared to even learn some technology skills around Power Query and DAX and Emscript and, and visualization? And can we build a great visual? No, not just tell the story, but can we actually build? And no, not another pie chart, but at least something that's uh, at least a bit better in terms of how the people want to understand it. So for me, the opportunity sits in data. But I think there's a huge opportunity for us to add even more value and be more valuable to the organization by leveraging the data that previously we either didn't have access to, so there was an access issue, or we just didn't have the data, just didn't exist. Now we're, we're overloaded with data. We've got too much data. So I think we've gone from a data-poor environment before to now a data-rich environment, but we don't have the right tools. So let's get the right tools. Let's get the right skills. And now let's march on to, you know, add more value by using the tools and the data to have great stories, great communication and great influencing. I love that is, you know, using the data, like you said, it's not about the data per se, but I really like how you ended that using the data to influence, to tell the story, to drive better decision making. We have so much more data today. And if we use it to drive the business forward, it's a win for everybody. It's a huge opportunity. But as you mentioned, that often requires upskilling, learning new skills, getting outside your comfort zone and figuring out how to really dig into that data and to take it to the next level. So I think I totally agree with you. There's a great opportunity there to really shine and make a difference for the business. So next question here, this one's a little more personal. What's something that not many people know about you? Something they wouldn't find online. Paul, I thought about this. Uh, you know, people that have Googled me, I did compete for Australia and South Africa in Taekwondo in martial arts and have spent a lot of time there. I'm a bit of a sort of a junkie when it comes to extreme sports, you know, scuba diving and all bits and pieces. But yeah, I'd say just the fact that I like to explore new and unknown places, you know, the traveling aspects. So yeah, love my sport, but I guess, yeah, it's hard to point a finger on on what exactly is you know stuff that people won't know about me but um i've lived in three different cities i guess you could see you could see that but i'm yeah i'm struggling a little bit sorry with the question i should have made better uh something that people don't know about me because i'm pretty open on on social media and there's probably a lot that i do share in terms of what i've done yeah i think that's um probably probably more my extreme sport i guess would be would be one of it that's a good one. I hadn't heard the extreme parts. I knew you did the martial arts and some of that. I've seen some of that on uh, posts somewhere before where you've talked about that. So we'll go with that one. We'll go with the extreme sports. That can always be a fun one. <laughs> so, you know, I was going to say, why is pivot tables your favorite Excel function? Oh. No, Our feature. Well, firstly, because I've never used it for a long time, but I can see how it can be useful for people, but not for modeling. It just doesn't even appear. And so... 
You know, for me, Excel was my modeling tool, not my analytics tool. Now that I do have analytics, I'm like, I'm not touching pivot tables. I'm touching Power BI and Power Pivot. So for me, like I've gone beyond pivot tables. I've like sort of jumped. Like now that I would see value in a pivot table, I'm not doing that in pivot tables. I'm doing that in Power Pivot on Power BI because I can then actually start building logic around my, my data. So that's why, you know, power in pivot tables is not my most favorite and a nice little curveball there because I you know, but I know lots of accountants and finance professionals and FPNA people do like a good pivot table because it does allow you to slice and dice things when you're looking backwards. Absolutely. But I, as I said in the beginning, I'm much more about forward looking. And I think that's where there's, where there's huge opportunity to add value as opposed to what happened. Yep. And so I'll just give our audience a little bit. That was kind of an inside curveball I told uh, Lance I was going to throw <laughs> at him because he kept asking, why does everybody say pivot tables is their favorite function? I never really used that for modeling. And he said he could really relate when I told the story of I had a CFO that came to me one day. Actually, he was general manager at this point, but he had been my CFO. And he came to me one day and he's like, how do you do this in a pivot table? And he was like, you know, the guy I looked up to in Excel. And I'm like, wait, you don't know pivot tables? But I was like totally blown away. And, you know, he'd come from a similar background to you, the investment banking. And he's like, I was modeling. There wasn't a need to use a pivot table. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I totally understand that. So now I'll ask you the serious question. What is your favorite Excel function or it could be a feature? If I'd say the one, I'd say index and the index match combo is the number one. The number of people that aren't even familiar with index is quite, yes, there's XLOOKUP, but XLOOKUP doesn't work with all versions of Excel, not backwards sure. integrable. But the other one, which if you ever want to enter some numbers into a grid, you know, right? in terms of numbers, you just want to sort of push numbers through a model. And instead of like entering one number, copying to the right, copying down, you just push control enter and it enters that number in the entire grid. So if you haven't used control enter, and that was actually someone, an ex-colleague of mine showed me, which was very powerful. And so absolutely control enter, you know, uh, in, index match. And one which is, again, a little bit different, but it t- comes up regularly for me when I have a list of items and I want to count them, you know, like number of products or people or whatever. I just want to have a total list. I use count A because count A as a formula allows yes. me. And I don't know why, but it just comes up a lot. And you know what? I said, look, I'm actually going to mention that on the podcast because it comes up more often than not. And it's one that I don't think many people use. So rather than giving people the standard, which would be my index match answer, I'd say, look at control enter as sort of a scalable way of entering data into a spreadsheet. And then also definitely count A comes up more often than not. I just want to try and make sure I have the number of periods. You know, I just want to count the number of periods, go, you know, count A. And I'm a huge fan of uh, count A and I love count A with unique now in 365. So I don't have to deal with the duplicates. Use that all the time versus the old way of having to write some kind of count if to figure out how many times it was in there and dividing it by the number. I could never remember that formula. So I was like, when they came out, count A, I'm like, and unique. I'm like, thank you. This is my combination. It's awesome. But again, that's probably more 365, but yeah. It is definitely a 365 thing. Well, I'm glad it's not merge and center like our first guest. I was worried that you might go there. I do agree with Jordan because I have used merge and center. I do find that in some instances, I still use it. He's an MVP. I'm not. I'll just say that. But uh, I don't poo-poo merge and center as much as others do. And like, as Oz said, this is not a religion we're talking about in terms of VLOOKUP and index match. You know, this is just a formula. So let's, let's, let's have context. So I think all of these things, context is important. 
I completely agree. I mean, if you're using it right, whether it's Merge Center, VLOOKUP, XLOOKUP, Index Match, it's get the job done and do it yeah. right. That's what matters. Last question here. I know we're out of time, but what advice would you offer to someone starting as an FPNA professional today? If you give them a piece of advice, what would it be? I'd say go deep on Excel, honestly. I think one of the risks I see today is people, and I had an interaction with someone recently who, who learned Python and R and all these coding languages, and he didn't know index. He never used index or index match, and yet he'd been coding. So for me, it's just like, well, this is basic stuff. So if I was starting today, and anyone that is, I'd still go deep on Excel, absolutely. But know all the aspects of Excel, modern Excel as well, with your Power Pivot and your Power Query. There's no question that I think Excel is here to stay for a very long time, and it can get you very far in your career. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm proof of it. I've used Excel as, as my tool of trade, and I think it's... It's incredibly powerful, but if you don't invest the time in learning how to use it properly, now not just, you know, using Excel as finger painting, as Rob Tripp used to say, which I love the point, you know, Excel is not a finger painting studio for you. You use it properly, use it with proper design, structure, standards, um, and best practice. I think that's where I would invest time. I could picture Rob saying that in my head. I could see him saying that line. So <laughs> yeah. That's a great one. I'll have to remember that one. Well, thank you. We've enjoyed having you on the show. It's really been a pleasure to have you on here, Lance. And I know, uh, you know, you have a passion for Excel, passion for financial modeling, and I'm confident our audience will, uh, you know, glean some great lessons that they can take into their, uh, you know, their profession on a daily basis. So thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me and um, good luck out there. Thanks. And great podcast. Keep it up. Appreciate that.